Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. To 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's lucky to 200-200. Scott Sloan out, I'm in. It's Ken Brew. It's Tuesday. It's great to have you with us as we continue on through this, one of these final weeks of summer 2022. Well, in addition to illegals crossing our border in record numbers, and again, there were about uh, 200,000, to about 200,000 encounters here in the last month alone. Mexican drug cartels are taking advantage of that chaos at the southern border to smuggle in fentanyl. Fentanyl is a killer. In fact, more than 90% of the 10,000 pounds of fentanyl seized in fiscal year 2021 occurred at the legal border entry points in California and Arizona. But in places like New Mexico and Texas, where border agents are overwhelmed, With nearly 70% of migrant entries, there have now been fewer than 5%, 5% seizures of the deadly synthetic opioid. Meanwhile, there is fentanyl that is coming into this country that is packaged as candy. They call it rainbow fentanyl. And uh, Border Patrol agents in Arizona seized more than 15,000 fentanyl pills that were strapped to a person's leg on last Wednesday alone. Just one week ago tomorrow. And uh, one Border Patrol agent was quoted as saying, this could be the start of a trend of targeting young people. These candy-like looking pills, they were seized in Arizona at a point of entry. And uh, Border Patrol agents a week ago today at the same entry point seized a vehicle that contained more than 250,000 fentanyl pills, which were colored like candy as well as 11 pounds of heroin and 10 pounds of methamphetamine. So now the cartels are disguising fentanyl, which will kill you and kill you quickly as candy. And it is coming into this country under the guise of open borders. What's going on here? And what does it look like for those who are for those who are captured by this deadly drug and are trying to recover from it? It has to be absolute hell. Standing by as somebody who knows all about that, Sherry Wetland is an addiction expert, co-founder of Recovery Consultants. It is an addiction uh, rehabilitation service and a recovery service. And she's standing by to join us right now. Shirley, how are you on this glorious Wednesday? I'm well, Ken. Thank you so much for having me. I am so concerned about this for the obvious reasons, but over and above the obvious reasons... I'm concerned about this because now it appears that the people that make this crap are starting to target our kids. It's one thing to go after an adult. That's wrong on many, many levels. But now to disguise this stuff so that a child would take it, to me, is beyond reprehensible. Uh, you've had to have seen fentanyl uh, people that have come to your clinic that have uh, taken 
various opioids, perhaps fentanyl. Uh, just give us an idea of what someone who takes fentanyl, what the reaction is, and whether or not there can be recovery. Yes, being in the San Francisco Bay Area, we've seen fentanyl uh, on the streets uh, mixed with street drugs for years now. And the trend is, at first, it was getting cut into street drugs like cocaine or heroin or methamphetamine, and people were dying using fentanyl unwillingly or unknowingly. And the trend has been over the past few years, unfortunately, that more and more people are now seeking out fentanyl to use specifically and um, we have you know the stats were highest overdose rates in our country uh, and 64 percent of those overdoses are due to fentanyl and I think for people to understand how dangerous and deadly fentanyl is fentanyl is 50 to 100 times more potent than heroin so that's what we have at our fingertips, and now it's flooding our country in very innocent-looking, rainbow-colored pills, which I think are targeted to kids, and it's making it seem like a very innocent, easy, quick little fix. And I don't think that the kids are understanding the dangers of what they have in their hands. Of what I'm reading here, it seems like the majority of it is coming in, fentanyl I'm speaking of, the majority of it are coming in through um, the southern border. That That's how it's making its way to the uh, United States, and not necessarily successfully through the entry points where there are Border Patrol agents, but in the various places where illegals can get into this country and carry it in, in you know less populated areas of Texas and New Mexico, and that's how it's getting into this country. Is that the route you're seeing? We are seeing some of that that is coming through Mexico. Uh, of course, being here in California, we have a large shipments coming in from China as well that are getting shipped in from cargo to people to all sorts of ways. But we've been seeing that trend here uh, through China on the West Coast for some years now. So these, these pills, they, they're, they're, they're rainbow colored. They, do they look like candy? They really do, and unfortunately, we've seen this trend throughout history, right? There was a time when cigarettes were, were the camel, camel Joe was, was targeted uh, towards kids. There were the vapes that have these, you know, blueberry and apple pie flavors that are also targeted to kids. And I think this, this unfortunately becomes a trend of supply and demand, and then they go for, for, a younger population to try to get a lifelong customer out of them. So so this stuff is coming in, and we, we've talked about how it's disguised. We know it's coming from the cartels in Mexico. But eventually, there has to be a marketing point to kids. Where's the marketing point? Social media, street corners, where, where's the marketing point for this? And I think this is what is scary is kids learn about this stuff through friends, through you know, their schoolmates, through people. I think one thing is, of course, the supply, right? It's flooding our, our country from uh, other countries. I think the second point that you touched on, Ken, is the need for them. Why, why are kids reaching out for such dangerous, you know, substances like this? And I think that's more the, the pressure, the increased isolation, the social media, um, 
you know, depression, all of these sorts of things, I think, make a rainbow-colored pill an easy solution for them, unfortunately. Explain the process. By the way, we're chatting with Shirley Wantland, addiction and recovery expert. Uh, she's at a uh, she's the co-founder of Recovery Consultants. And explain the process when someone comes to you who is overdosed on fentanyl. What is that process like, and how does it differ from heroin, which we've talked is 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 far less potent than fentanyl, and how does it differ from cocaine or any other substance that might be out there? What what is a what does a fentanyl overdose look like, and what does the recovery look like as compared to other of these other uh, types of drugs? The overdoses, unfortunately, are quite fatal. So for the, those that come to us who have survived a fentanyl overdose, the first order of business is to get them medically detoxed. So to get them in a center where there are certified and, and uh, licensed doctors and nurses and staff that can detox them off of the fentanyl because, you know, just like heroin, but even more so, it is so physically addicting that that detox can be quite painful for someone on their own. And a lot of times that's why people don't seek help is they're so afraid of the detox and it being, you know, a very brutal one. So the first order of business is always to get them detoxed. And the second order of business for me, at least, is to get them on um, something like naloxone or suboxone, some, some sort of opioid replacement that um, can help their body re-regulate as we work on the other factors of them building uh, a clean and sober life for themselves again. And anybody that I've talked to that's been through rehab, alcohol or otherwise, say um, it, it's not a one-shot deal. I mean, chances are you're going to see that no. patient again. The recidivity rate is probably going to be very high. That would be my guess. Am I right? It can be. I think when we only focus on sobriety and keeping clean, that's only one piece of the pie. I think the other very large piece, that w which is much harder to do, is creating a life of purpose so that they have no need to, to use the drugs or they have something else to look forward to, something to replace that drug use. And I think often that's what's missed in rehab centers or just kind of traditional treatment programs. Yeah. By the way, you mentioned you're in California. San Francisco, is that where you said you were, you're, you're based out of? Yes, I'm yeah. in the San Francisco Bay Area. I just saw, uh, I guess it was yesterday, the governor of California is now doing away with drug-free shoot-up zones. I would have to think that's something you would applaud. You know, I have mixed feelings about it. I think that although um, it sounds quite crazy to open up a, a you know shooting uh, zone, per se, or a place where people can just shoot up, I think the reality is a lot of people are already doing it, and those centers can be a place where, you know, we can reach people, they can get medical help, um, there's, there's uh, a chance, an opportunity for them to engage in some sort of detox or rehab. Um, but I understand, you know, both sides of the coin. Yeah. It's a fairly controversial and progressive kind of model. Yeah, it, it is. I, and, and again, I... I I agree to an extent with with um, with you and with what he said or what he initially did and now doing away with it because I 
you know, I think the, the the goal for, I think, most of us in America is to get everybody off this stuff. And I know that's not a realistic goal. It will always be there. And unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, you will always, we will always need places like your place because people do have these, these, uh, these foibles that they, they, they just can't handle certain things. And they, they turn to things like alcohol and they turn to things like drugs. This is an important question, I think, for parents. Um, what are you looking for if you're a parent? If a kid if a kid gets a hold of one of these things, these rainbow colored fentanyl pills, what are you looking for? What does it look like? Physically look like as best as you can describe it. So that if something like that winds up with a kid, a parent can swoop in and take care of this thing quickly. They're small, they are round, they are white or rainbow colored. So anytime you're seeing very small pills like that, particularly if they're rainbow colored uh, and you've noticed that your child has been acting different, um, sudden change of behavior, loss of motivation, different friend groups, um, loss of you know extracurricular activities, those are some clues as parents to uh, check in with your child and see you know what's going on here because um, a sudden shift in, in behavior like that is usually um, due to something and unfortunately more often than not these days it has something to do with substance use and so i think parents having very honest conversations about their with their kids about drugs about fentanyl about the dangers of them i think you know some people some parents might feel well that's just enabling them or you know telling them something um that they shouldn't know and unfortunately if parents aren't telling them then their friends and their classmates are and we want to get them the most accurate information Shirley Wantlin, you can find her at recovery-consultants.com, recovery-consultants.com. Very enlightening. Um, Shirley, I know you had to get up early to do this today. Thank you so much, and um, we appreciate your time. Hopefully we can visit again down the road. I think you got a lot of great things to say. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ken. It is um, catastrophic, the fentanyl addiction in this country. And uh, it is coming in from the southern border and uh, we can get into a discussion about the southern border open borders uh, whether or not this um, administration is benign neglect when it comes to southern border or it is just absolutely politically driven so far that it just is it wants all of these illegals in this country uh, for political reasons uh, perhaps to convert them into democrat voters i don't know I think there's arguments to be made on all sides of the spectrum. The residual uh, effect is that this, this, this stuff is coming into the United States, and the Custom and Border Patrol is so tied up, in essence, just processing people, being Walmart greeters, that they can't go through these seizures 100% and seize this stuff. And it's worse when you get to places like New Mexico and Texas, where there is so much open land and where this, uh, the Border Patrol cannot staff every single inch of it, that is just pouring into this country. And it's people like Shirley Wantland that has to deal with it. But it's getting very little play anywhere that I can see in the mainstream media. Very little play. Well, the, the, the border situation and the, the stream of mi- uh, illegal migrants are uh, is getting very little play to begin with. But this... Um, sometimes you watch the nightly news on the, on the major networks and you wonder, what the hell are you people looking at?
Do you actually understand what's going on down there? It's very, very frustrating, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to lead off today with this. It's 923. Scott Sloan's out. I'm in. You're just going to have to deal with it. I'm sorry. 700-WLW. Hey, kids, listen up. Time for another story from Uncle Willie's Big Book of Great Americans. Today, Ruth Wakefield, the cookie queen. As the story goes, Ruth was a cook at the Toll House Inn and decided to make some chocolate cookies. She chopped up a Nestle chocolate bar, assuming the chocolate would melt, but it didn't. Instead, she created the all-American chocolate chip cookie. Voila! The next time you plow through a plate of chocolate chip cookies, thank Ruth Wakefield, a great American like me. You can be a great American, too. Listen to Bill Cunningham today at 12 noon on 700 WLW. Rock the night away at Hard Rock. 700 WLW, Ken Brew for Scott Sloan on this Tuesday. Great to have you with us. It's 935 if you'd like to synchronize your watches. I uh, see where Jesse Bates has reported uh, to the Bengals team facility. This is on the Inquirer's website. Inquirer's uh, website, of course, is Cincinnati.com. It is so reported by Kelsey Conway. And uh, what does that mean? Well, it probably means that he will sign his franchise tag. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe they worked something out. I don't know. That might be a longer type of deal. But... Um, the Bengals have a big week this week. They're uh, having joint practices with the Los Angeles Rams. Two practices are being used as kind of a dress rehearsal for the starters. So in order to practice, uh, Bates is going to have to sign that franchise tag and then pass a physical and then go out and do his thing. Now, I have no idea, nor does anyone else until Jesse talks, how much of what has transpired so far in the preseason with his heir apparent, Dax Hill, how much that had in his uh, desire to go in and sign. Maybe, just maybe, you know, he kind of views the situation the same way we do. And that is that this team is pretty darned good. And it has a chance to do something very special. And maybe that's what prompted him to go ahead and sign this and, and get in some modicum of shape before the season opener on September 11th. I don't know, and uh, neither is anyone else until Jesse starts talking. But uh, he's there, and it looks like he'll sign the franchise tag. Look, it's not chump change. He's going to make like $13 million. So that's pretty dang good. And, uh, and now the party can begin. We are all whole again. All right, on the show today, uh, Anthony Fauci is retiring. And uh, I've been on record ever since the start of the pandemic that um, uh, he has done a very poor job of explaining, A, what COVID w was, B, how to fight COVID. He flip-flopped on a number of big issues uh, and then became so politicized that I think a lot of people just tuned him out. And now he's retiring. Interesting timing, considering that there's apparently a purge going on at the CDC, led by the current head, Rochelle Walensky. Purge should have begun with her leaving. But anyway, there's, there's a deep-dive purge over the way that operation handled COVID. Fauci was the face of our COVID fight. And quite frankly, the fight wasn't all that good. And now a lot of people have been fully vaccinated and boosted twice, and they're getting COVID. So I think Fauci 
fearing that maybe, you know, the, the Republicans are going to take over the control of at least the House, maybe the Senate in November, uh, the heat is going to get turned up on him. And the other thing that could be in play here, it's, you know, he's 80 years old. And uh, even though he had a long and distinguished career, the last two years could not have been very good for him other than monetarily. And fearing perhaps that the wrath of the Congress is coming at him after January of this year, which it still can, by the way, he's probably getting out of Dodge. He'll have the, what, the, the most lucrative retirement settlement of anybody who's ever worked for the federal government? That's... <laughs> Well, all right. Anyway, we're going to get into that at 10.06. Uh, at 11.06, violence among teens, gun violence among teens, teens just, just violent behavior. How much of it is traced back to the violence they see on television and in video games? Uh, those who play video games could fall when they hear that, but there are some that are affected in very adverse ways by shoot 'em up video games. We're going to get into that at 11.06. And then uh, at 11.36, are college degrees overrated? More and more high school graduates are going into trade schools. You want to make money? You want to have a job? You want to be recession-proof, layoff-proof? Learn a trade. You'll never want for work. We'll talk about that at 11.06. Why are so many of us unhappy? I think we ask ourselves that every day. You wake up in the morning, it's not like you wake up, you win. You wake up in the morning, it's what new fresh hell is awaiting me. And uh, it's just not people in America. It's all over the globe. I think the pandemic had a lot to do with it. I think here in America, I think we have a lot of stress. Everything is politicized. You're either red, you're blue. You're right, you're left. Uh, you can't hold a conversation anymore with anyone about anything without politics creeping into the discussion. Add into that inflation, add into that the stresses of just conducting your daily life. And we're not a happy people. Gallup, uh, the long-running um, research agency, did a report. I'm looking at it right here, the 2022 Emotions Report. And uh, the bottom line on all of this, without going into numbers and metrics, stress and sadness and anxiety are all at all-time highs in the United States. Why is that so? Standing by is somebody I think who can weigh in. I certainly hope he can or we wouldn't have booked him for the show. He's got two PhDs in human behavior. He also has a book out called Core Creativity, The Mindful Way to Unlock Your Creative Self. We've had Dr. Ron Alexander on the program before. I thought it would be a good idea to have him on today because it just seems like it is reaching a boiling point and we're not even remotely close. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. 
And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. To what is going to transpire in November. Dr. Alexander, how are you on this glorious Tuesday? Oh, I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful, too. You know what, daggone it, I've got, uh, people will say I'm doing great. I'll say, well, I'm not, I'm not doing great, but I got eight or ten hours to work on it. But, you know, I just decided I'm doing wonderful because, I mean, you've got to take inventory of the good things you have in life, and I think you need to do it on a regular basis. Am I wrong in saying that? No, I think that that's very, very clear and a very good pathway for uh, your listeners to chat out. Um, in the last... Uh, three years, we've all experienced such extraordinary amounts of stress, depression, anxiety, um, and it oftentimes makes us want to focus on the pessimistic. But what I write about in my book is that what enlivens you and what you feel that you can get control of in, in your life and that you can invent something new for yourself or for your team or for your family or mm -hmm. in your relationship and the people that you work with is what's going to open up feelings of vitality and hopefulness and uh, possibility. Now, see, I, I, I have a theory, and, and, and what you just said, I think, plays into it. I think if you approach things in an optimistic way, it will not only help you handle things that may be roadblocks in life a lot easier, I think you'll live a healthier life too. I'm a big believer that the mind has a definite effect on how the rest of the body operates. And people sometimes will tell me, well, that's science fiction. You don't know what you're talking about. But I've seen it. I know it. I may not have a degree or the degrees that you have, but I've seen it practically. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. There's an old um, quote from the Theosophists, and they were a group of uh, philosophers and thinkers in the Southern California and the um, Ojai area, who were also involved with the late philosopher and Indian sage Krishnamurti. And the phrase was, set your mind on what you want, and it will manifest. And so if you take that just in a very practical way, if you sit around and you focus on everything that's not working and the world's going to hell in a handbasket and uh, everything that you don't have, then you generate more negativity and more bad feeling and you add that on top of the bad feelings that you're already having. Right. And the key is to focus on what you do have and what you do want. Well, this is what's told on a routine basis to athletes. Visualize how the play develops in your mind and you will have a better chance of having that develop the way you want it to. 
the old baseball phrase, see the ball, hit the ball. You know, see it as you want it to develop, and then you will have a better chance of reaching that conclusion. But if you, in your mind, think, well, wait a minute, uh, my left tackle is going to miss a block, or if uh, this pass from the forward isn't going to make it into me, the center, to make the basket, well, then if you start thinking that way, by and large, your body will react in ways that it won't happen. Uh, I, I've seen it practically applied in, in sports. Why wouldn't it be, it be practically applied in everyday life? But, you know, doctor, it's very difficult for people that I've, I've known, and I've known some people that were miserable, people that, you know, might have undiagnosed depression or anxiety or whatever. It's very difficult when you're, you're swimming in those waters to get out. Now, for, for the moment, let's say it's not someone who is clinically depressed and does need uh, some sort of professional help, but just somebody that is always negative or seeing the wrong things in life. What, what, what are good ways to get out of that kind of behavior and into the kind of behavior where it's not always doom and gloom? Well, I'm glad that you, you brought that up, and especially the sports analogy, because in my book, I actually uh, write very briefly about that there was a great game in the history of the Celtics where Larry Bird had only got three shots in the first half of this one specific game. And at the halftime, the coach said to everybody on the team, give the ball to Larry 59 points. Mm -hmm. So clinical depression for sure needs attention and sometimes it needs medication. But something that we can all do, regardless of what your uh, religion is, is we can learn to meditate and we can learn to contemplate. And the, and the Taoists have always taught us uh, from the beginning of time that by taking a daily walk, going outside, spending time in nature, takes us a long way to opening up new neurons in our brain that create feelings of positivity, happiness, contentment, and well-being. Hmm. You know, it's, uh, it's funny, uh, that, that game by Larry Bird, for some reason I was watching it or saw highlights, he was, it was going so well for him in the second half, he was making shots left-handed. <laughs> it was, That's but, right, you know, and he had his famous uh, in the, the corner fadeaway shot in the Boston Garden, <laughs> and I think he got like... 12 of those in, Swiss after Swiss. And now why? Because in Larry's mind, Larry made a decision at the halftime, and I think all your viewers uh, and, and listeners can make this same decision each and every day. You can either focus on how the ball in your life didn't go in in the morning, or you can start to reset the mindset in your mind of how you want the ball to go in in the afternoon in the evening mm -hmm. and so it's all about changing mindsets yeah um, negativity yeah. creates a more of a negative mindset in professional athletes in what I call people who are involved in developing a winning formula um, that most of all the creatives in my book that I interviewed they all focus on positive mindsets, fluid mindsets, mm -hmm. mindsets of flow. Yeah, yeah. what you can achieve as opposed to what will keep you from achieving it. You've worked with a lot of high-profile companies uh, in coaching uh, talent. 
management and otherwise. I mean, Universal Pictures, Sony, I mean, the entertainment industry, where you're from, is huge. Walt Disney Studios, ABC. When, when you work with uh, people that are from the creative end of things, I'm just wondering, are they more difficult to, to work with or, or less difficult to work with? Because in those businesses, those high-profile businesses, there's a lot of rejection, not a lot of success. Success, even in sports, too, I mean, if you're successful a third of the time in baseball, you're in the Hall of Fame in, in, uh, in, in working with clients that you work with in the entertainment industry, uh, if you're making one hit movie every 10 years, you're considered a box office uh, bonanza. So is it harder to work with creative people than it is with people who may not work in a creative end? And would the same disciplines apply in both cases? Well, the same disciplines apply to people, whether you're working in the entertainment industry or you're a sculptor or you're a painter or a poet or a writer, to everyday people. Um, because everyday people have the same opportunity to bring creative mindsets into their everyday activities. Creative people are a little bit more easier to work with because they operate from what we call a fluid or a flexible mind state, which is they see when they have a failure or they get rejected, they oftentimes move from the breakdown into what I call the creative breakthrough. They look at the failure not as an end, but as a jumping off point for launching a breakthrough into a creative opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I think everyone needs to start uh, looking at and viewing um, in their own optimistic mindsets as no matter what's not working, what do we need to do to set a new course, re-navigate, re-engineer, retool towards a more happier, a more uh, impassioned, uh, a more in, uh, bolded mindset. Yeah, uh, and amen to that, absolutely. Um, it, it's amazing what you can do when you just allow yourself to do it. Now, your book, Core Creativity, The Mindful Way to Unlock Your Creative Self. I'm guessing that's available on Amazon. Everything's available on Amazon, except happiness, of course. Uh, they aren't <laughs> selling that yet. But uh, it's available there, I would guess, and where else? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, at allbooksellers.com. Uh, um, and, and, you're at, you're, you're uh, and you're, you're, uh, your website is ronaldalexander.com, correct? Yes. And then also corecreativity.com, which is the name of the book. Okay. One of my next stops when I'm done working here today is I go to my uh, my little uh, iPad. I'm going to download it and read it tonight because I think it's uh, – I, I think I, fa- I fall into that same trap as a lot of people do. Sometimes you just get washed up in, in all the bad things that happen, whether it be what's going on in the world from a global standpoint or here at home from an inflation and monetary standpoint or whatever it may be. Um, it's it's always good to do a little checkup from the neck up. Doctor, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Oh, you're very, very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Good. Well, you know, you always want uh, to be a pleasure for the other person. That's my motto in life. But it's true. I mean, sometimes, and it's trite, and it's just, you know, kind of hackneyed, but, you know, you count count your blessings, and the first blessing is you woke up. You woke up this morning. How many people didn't do that? I know that's a low bar, but still. 
It is coming up on 953 down the road. Anthony Fauci is riding off into the sunset, but will the House and the Senate ride after him? Meanwhile, Amy Wagner is standing by because she knows all about money, and Tuesday is Tuesday, and Tuesday is all about money. we got a lot to get to and a short time to get there on 700 WLW. Trend Me. High near 84. Tonight, partly cloudy and mild, low of 60. Tomorrow, much of the same. Uh, partly cloudy and nice, high of 85. It's Welcome on in. Dr. Anthony Fauci is retiring. He announced so yesterday. He actually gave it to the New York Times, but who would not expect that? The liberal media have been fawning over Anthony Fauci ever since his emergence as the face of COVID. And, it's, uh, and the American medical community's fight against it. But he's retiring. It follows an announcement by the head of the CDC, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, that they are going to do a deep dive into what was, by all accounts, a complete failure on the CDC's part when it came to the fight against COVID. Fauci has flip-flopped a lot. He has said one thing and then immediately afterwards said something else that contradicted what he said initially. And he hasn't done it once. He's done it on several occasions. In fact, many occasions. And it's well documented. He was a man who operated basically in obscurity for most of his first 70 or so years of life. Actually, the first 76, 77 years of his life. He was a bureaucrat whose uh, particular piece of expertise happened to be public health. But then COVID hit. And he became a moth to lights. And sometimes he would do so many interviews, he would say one thing in one and another in another interview, and yet a third thing in a third interview, all on the same day. Sometimes all in the same morning. And so there had become in this country, I think, and still does, a, a bit of a distrust in what Anthony Fauci had to say. Couple that with the fact that he's 80 years old. And people who are 80 years old are still, many of them, are still really, really sharp, really still on their game. But most of their life is in their rearview mirror. And as I've said many times on this radio station, and I will continue to stay, say, since the start of COVID, we needed fresh eyes, and we needed a perspective from those who had most of their life out the windshield of their car and not out their rearview window. Maybe now we get a chance but what legacy does Anthony Fauci leave behind? Standing by is somebody who is not only a scholar of all things history, but also the author of a great book, Presidential Power and the American Political System. We have had Dr. Frank Sorrentino on the show before, and it is great to have him back. And, Doctor, how are you on this glorious Tuesday? I'm doing wonderful. It's great to be with you again. Well, thank you for joining us. My um, my analysis of Fauci, in addition to what I said before we welcomed you, is that I think he just got caught up politically in all of this, and his credibility took a very big hit. And if not time for his retirement, there would certainly have been, after November, when I believe that the Democrats uh, will lose control of the House and quite possibly the Senate, we'll see, we're going to come after Tony Fauci. They still may. But he certainly was about to face the fire of wrath of a lot of Republicans who just think he mishandled this whole COVID thing. That's my view of where Anthony Fauci is today. Does yours differ? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. 
Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Well, uh, not substantially different because I don't know if it's the personal uh, Dr. Fauci. It's the institutional Dr. Fauci that concerns me the most. Uh, We've created this uh, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, and he was personally responsible for billions of dollars worth of grants. And those grants have a way of co-opting large members of the scientific community. And even when people at the very beginning of the pandemics were suggesting a lab leak, uh, and they brought that information to him, uh, he seemed to co-opt those individuals like Christian Anderson and others uh, by giving them grants. And then uh, when the uh, Barrington Declaration came out, him and his colleague, uh, uh, Francis Collins, uh, basically went out to silence people and destroy their reputations. Uh, This is a problem of the bureaucracy and the institutional politics that we've created in the country. And I think we have to take a fresh look at it. I'm not so sure that just looking at the policies, although I think there's a lot to question there, a significant amount to question there, uh, I'm more focused on the institutional arrangements which give these individuals much, much too, uh, too much power. Sure, he shut down the country basically for about a month and a half took the economy right into a spiral, right into a, an abyss. Uh, he apparently was in cahoots with the uh, teachers' unions on how our schools operated and reacted to COVID. But I think it's all, all about, <clears throat> excuse me, it's all about timing, doctor. Um, he's got the liberal media in his back pocket for most of the time with this. He was their darling. He was propped up. But yet in the last several months, the New York Times turned on him, columnist Brett Stevens, uh, took aim at him um, and the way he went back and forth with Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky about gain of function, Fauci parsing words. Then there was Vanity Fair, obviously a very liberal publication, and uh, they did a story that revealed that State Department officials were told not to explore Wuhan's lab gain of function research because it would bring unwelcome attention to the U.S. government's funding of it. We ultimately, we uh, obviously funded it. 
And uh, then there was this from the Washington Post, Josh Rogan. Not Joe Rogan, but a columnist named Josh Rogan. He said Paul was right, Fauci was wrong. The NIH is functioning gain of research at Wuhan, but the NIH pretended it didn't meet their quote-unquote gain-of-function definition. Well, you got the Times and the Post who both propped this guy up. Now, turning on this guy, I don't think it's any, any strange coincidence that he's decided he's going to take it to the ranch. Your thoughts? Well, uh, I think there's an old expression, uh, uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm. Uh, he was given an extraordinary amount of power, and he became the symbol of, uh, let's say, the anti-Trump policy, even though he was shaping part of the Trump policy at the beginning. And I think uh, as that symbol, he gained so much credibility in certain segments of the uh, population and with certain interest groups. Uh, and most importantly, uh, having access to the media where anybody who disagreed with him uh, was labeled as uh, disinformation or misinformation. Uh, this is not how science is supposed to work. Science is supposed to be an open system of debate. And his power became uh, so overbearing that he viewed any criticism of him as a, as a threat, and he responded uh, overbearingly. And I think this was destructive of the uh, discussion that we should have been having about mandates, about the vaccine, about masks. Uh, but let me go one step further. Um, it appeared because, uh, let's say, the pharmaceutical industry, which has done great work in, mm -hmm. in many instances. But in this case, they presented a, a vaccine, and this vaccine uh, was never fully tested uh, to the extent that we know all the side effects. And he was promoting it, not only for one shot, for two shots, uh, for two boosters, yeah. uh, suggesting that children and young people were just as vulnerable to the virus and even uh, suggesting that six-month-old uh, children should be given the vaccine. Uh, this seemed to be almost a shill for the pharmaceutical industry, uh, which uh, supported him and supported the uh, National uh, Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, uh, the CDC, uh, and this became the political support. He became a bureaucratic politician mm -hmm. rather than an advisor. Uh, and then they looked at all the various uh, alliances they could make. You mentioned the teachers union was one of them. Uh, but we also know that bureaucrats in other agencies also benefited uh, by the suggestion that this was such a, a great pandemic and that no one could go to work. And then I'll, I'll go one step further and suggest that a lot of the large corporations uh, like Amazon, for example, benefited tremendously uh, during the lockdowns. Not everybody shared equally. Yeah. And this uh, is part of his legacy. Yeah, it is. And um, he, he was very defensive. He was a bureaucrat given far too much power as unelected public health officials were given during the, the start of this pandemic. But I heard something interesting. I heard, I think it was this morning, Jared Kushner was on one of the talk shows, and he said, you know, the problem with Washington is is that there aren't a lot of people that want to work to solve a problem. They're more interested in proving that they're not wrong. 
And I thought about that, and it's like, yeah, everybody in Washington, as you well know, you're a student and a doctorate of political science. Uh, it's a cover-your-ass city. And I think, you know, Tony Fauci was a bureaucrat who probably had a very good social life, went to a lot of cocktail parties, didn't want to be ridiculed by anybody for saying or doing anything that might not let him get invited to those kinds of things. And so he was constantly trying to prove that he was not wrong. But in that process, he kept saying contradictory things. Like, the whole thing began with a lie when he said, you don't need to wear a mask, and this is not going to be a problem of any great magnitude for the United States. So out of the chute, this guy was wrong, and it just, I, I think, it leads me to believe that when they write the final history of what COVID was, uh, if it's honest, it, that that history will start with the NIH, of which he was in charge of infectious diseases, got caught flat-footed. That they knew what was going on in Wuhan, and they got caught flat-footed when this thing happened. And Trump became the fall guy because the media hates Trump. And Trump, you know, did himself in on a lot of things with his bombastic ways. But I think I think when we really get to the root of it, the NIH was caught flat-footed on this thing. What do you think? Well, I, I think not only the NIH, uh, but the CDC. Uh, what we had was a situation in which everybody felt they had to cover. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, some of the doctors who had looked at the virus and they claimed it was engineered or had all the markings of an, of an engineered virus, which is the gain-of-function uh, aspect that you were talking about. Uh, well, this is a great potential scandal because during the Obama administration uh, there was an executive order that said that there had to be a halt on all gain of function. So if this was to pop out, this would have been a great disaster, not only for Fauci and Collins, uh, but for the whole uh, federal bureaucratic uh, structure of, of our health system. And I think that they did become very, very defensive. And they either co-opted people or they destroyed people. And that's not the role of, uh, of an advisor for pandemics. And I think uh, he overstepped his bounds. Uh, unfortunately, he had a distinguished uh, history as a younger physician yes. and at the beginnings of his uh, career. But I think he became uh, too much of a politician and I think he destroyed a lot of his credibility. And now that he's no longer needed, there are a lot of uh, people out to get him uh, who were previously his supporters. Yeah, and I, I, I think if, if indeed the Republicans take one of the two houses, if not both, I think there will be uh, plenty of face time for him in front of those committees, private citizen or not. Dr. Frank Sorrentino, Presidential Power and the American Political System is his book. I can't let you go. i got a couple of minutes here about the raid on Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago. What do you think politically the fallout will be for him if indeed this is just nothing more than a paper problem, not signing the right forms, or if he took documents that he had declassified and had every right to have, much as what Bill Clinton had and much as what Bill Clinton's wife had when she left as Secretary of State? Uh, what is the political fallout from this man who seems to have a grip a death grip on his own party, the Republican Party. Well, this is uh, a fascinating dimension here because he's probably the most investigated man in American history. 
Uh, and every time they think they have him in his grasp, he seems to escape. I think this was uh, clearly a case of selective law enforcement. And uh, it goes back to the FBI becoming a very, very political organization. They obviously did not do anything with Hillary Clinton. Uh, they embarrassed her a little bit, but they not only did not prosecute her, they did not go into and have a search warrant. And there's the, uh, the classified documents were on a server in which if Comey's to be believed, uh, that uh, server was accessed by foreign governments. Uh, far more serious. Uh, so I think uh, many of the people who are supporters of Trump and a lot of people who are not necessarily supporters but are worried about uh, the politicalization of the FBI, which, by the way, has gone on even back in history, going back uh, to Woodrow Wilson's sure. uh, Palmer raids and the sure. original Espionage Act against anybody who disagreed with World War I. Uh, this could backfire. Uh, now, of course, uh, the Justice Department and the FBI are leaking information which are trying to destroy the credibility of Trump. But I don't know if it has much to say other than among the people who already despise him and would never vote for him. So I, like the January 6th committee, uh, I think they may have uh, miscalculated and it could be to the overall benefit of Trump in the long run. Yeah, much like the rank and file of the NIH, the rank and file of the FBI, the rank and file of the Justice Department, by and large, are people that just want to do their job as best as they can uh, and go home to their families and get up and do it all over again tomorrow, serving as they do the country. And it is uh, the, the, top of the, pro the top of these organizations at the FBI, certainly at the Department of Justice and at the NIH, where the problems existed. It's very rarely yeah. ever. Very rarely ever yeah. the rank and file. Yeah, the rank and file is uh, not interested in the interest group analysis and relationships, uh, and they don't benefit from that so much. Uh, it's the people at the top, yeah. uh, the leadership, and the leadership has become uh, very much orientated towards engagement in politics. Department of Education, you could say the same thing as well. Exactly. You know, and we can go on and on to each of uh, these bureaucratic entities uh, where people know that there's there's gain to be made by uh, doing engaging in quid pro quo with certain groups. Dr. Frank M. Sorrentino, Presidential Power and the American Political System, and you can find him on his website. You know he's big. He's got his own website, drfrankmsorrentino.com. Doctor, great stuff. We will do it again. Stay well. We need to hear your voice. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Yeah. Thank you, Doctor. Coming up on 1024, the legacy of Dr. Fauci for the majority of his career, if you look at his resume, was pristine. It's when COVID hit and we needed him the most, uh, he went off the rails. He just did. And when his most ardent supporters, the mainstream media, the New York Times, the Washington Post, start turning on him, when Vanity Fair starts turning on him, and when it appears that the House, at least, and maybe the Senate, too, starts turning red as opposed to what it is now, um, I'm not sure I wouldn't have done the same thing he's doing. Eighty years old, take it to the ranch, and look for some sort of friends in the federal government that can keep me from having too much 
of my reputation sullied. Because, as Dr. Sorrentino said, you know, the first 40 years of this guy's career, 50 years of this guy's career, they were wonder it was wonderful. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. But uh, not, uh, not during COVID. I think when the final chapter is written on that, you'll find a lot of these things that he has denied and then maybe said was true, and then maybe denied again because he was that way. It may wind up being true. 1025 News Radio 700 WLW. People have always craved entertainment. The Aztecs would hold great festivals with feasts, dancing, and games, which was great fun. Except for the person they'd sacrifice at the end of the celebration. Ouch! Today, we have something better. Eddie Fingers and Rocky Boyman. They're very entertaining and haven't sacrificed anyone in years. Eddie and Rocky, this afternoon at 3 on 700 WLW. Genesis Diamonds is proud to showcase a spectacular Duchess of Dollars, the Queen of the Green. This is the Simply Money Advisors with Amy Wagner. Yeah, but if she's so damn good, why did she allow the Dow to tank yesterday? That's what I want to know. Amy <laughs> Wagner, how are you? Oh, if only I had as much power as you make it out to seem. Well, I you would, do. You I do. I living on a private island, Mr. Brew. Let me just say this, that I subscribe to the Mo Egger podcast, and I heard you as a guest in his second or his most recent podcast, First of all, thank you for saying my name, which you did not. Second of all, second of all, you, you, you. Uh, I think the audience needs to know this because maybe they don't. Is that you completely did a deep dive and re-educated yourself into all things finance when you left your job as a uh, television reporter for, I believe it was Fox 19. I mean, you completely did a 180 with your career and took the time and the effort to educate yourself in all things finance I, I found that the most impressive thing in that entire show oh you know what that's true I mean I did a complete midlife pivot and for anyone who's thinking about hey I've got this passion somewhere else or this feeling I need to try something else 
honestly, nothing about making this change made sense when I had the offer on the table. Hmm. I, I didn't have a background in finance. I had been a, a TV reporter for years, and obviously a lot of my responsibilities in this new role would be radio, which was a whole new world. Um, but yeah, if something deep inside me said, do this, this is the next right step for you, that's all I knew. Uh, and so within six months of, of starting with Simply Money at the time, now we're all worth advisors, I had taken a Series 65 test. I had thrown myself headfirst into learning. I spent hours with the smartest people who I know, uh, who help people with money and finance and retirement. And my gosh, that was seven years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I was very, very impressed. You can find Mo Eggers podcast where you find podcasts. But I mean, I thought it, I was listening yesterday while I was at the gym trying to, you know, cheat age. And Getting uh, I was, buff as you are. I yes. Know. And I was, uh, yes. And I was uh, <laughs> listening to this. I was very impressed. Uh, okay. So the market did tank yesterday. I think we got maybe last week close to 34,000 again and uh you know everybody is is antsy because they don't know what the fed's going to do the fed looks like they're going to raise interest rates again because inflation is still a problem uh but uh, the fed chair Jerome Powell I guess is going to speak Friday and so look for some reaction I guess in the markets if not Friday certainly first of next week right yeah, all eyes are on Jackson Hole, Wyoming. That is where the Fed, and this is like the Fed chairs, like World Banks from everywhere meeting in Jackson Hole as they do every year. The funny thing about this is just a little perspective on what a difference a year makes, Ken. Mm. One year ago, uh, during these same meetings in Jackson Hole, Jerome Powell um, stood up and said, hey guys, about inflation, I get that you might be starting to pay more for things when you go to the grocery store right now when you pay your bills, but hey, this is transitory. This is temporary. Uh, it's supply chain issues coming out of this pandemic. It's not going to be long term. That was August of last year. Fast forward to December, where he says, so about that transitory or temporary inflation thing, looks like it's going to stick around for a little bit longer. And then here we are, of course, this August, inflation at 40 plus year highs. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And obviously, he didn't know what he was talking about last year. Janet Yellen, I think, deliberately misled the American public about saying that uh, it was also going to be that way. And here we are. And it's, I, I guess it's high because, you know, we're spending money. I mean, I mean, until the, the until this, this, this market that's flush with cash calms down a little bit, inflation's going to be a problem. I, I'm, I'm reading this note here. 73% of Americans, uh, admit most of their purchases are impulse buys. Well, until <laughs> that comes back to norm a little bit. Inflation is going to be a problem, right? Yeah, so let's get into that a little bit because there are a lot of people out there saying, hey, I'm really concerned about inflation right now. I'm concerned about a recession. Um, I'm concerned about the fact that I'm paying more at the gas pump and the grocery store and for every darn bill that I have right now than I was just a year ago. Yet, when you look at the research, 73% of us say, hey, um, I actually am guilty of, re of um, impulse buys and actually maybe 56% of the time, that's what my buys are, impulse buys. So for people who say we're worried about the, the economy and our financial situation, we sure aren't acting like it. No. And, you know, when you dig into this research a little more, it, it is interesting um, as to why we do this. I mean, the pandemic 
did change things. I mean, I know lots of people who weren't necessarily buying everything online before the pandemic who've gotten really used to it. And there is a huge convenience in this. You don't have to get in your car and drive across town to Kenwood Town Center or Target anymore. You can order whatever and it's there a couple of days yeah. later. Yeah. Um, and so we've gotten really used to that. And, and yeah. there's a number of other kind of perfect storm factors that play into this too. Over the past year or two, buy now, pay later plans have become huge. Mm. So, have, so is interest rates on credit cards. One hundred percent. Back to the Federal Reserve. As the Federal Reserve, our nation's central bank, raises interest rates, uh, you're going to be paying more if you carry a balance on that credit card. So, you know, this buy now, pay later option of, well, I just need these shoes, need these shoes, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I can't afford... <laughs> A hundred and twenty bucks for these Nikes, but I can afford thirty dollars now, and then yeah, three more yeah. payments of thirty. Yeah. But also, I want these jeans, and I mean, I think about oh my gosh, if buy now pay later was around when I was in my twenties. No. Oh. What a mess I would have made because oh I, my gosh. I was a starting journalist salary. I made no money, mm. yet I I had to live within the confines of that. And by now, pay later for a lot of especially 20, 30-year-olds, well, this is becoming the norm. You should have come see me. I'd have given you five bucks. You know? <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure you would have. I know that you also started out in broadcasting, so you didn't have five bucks to give No, up. I didn't. No, I didn't. First, first, first job I had was in Wilmington, Ohio. I made $7,200 a year. I don't yeah. know how. I don't know how, I, I honestly, I still don't know how I did it today. But, you know, the, the, you, you mentioned this about online shopping. And I know you deal in facts and stats. And I deal kind of like in big picture umbrella feelings and all that. I mean, that's just the way I'm wired. But um, there's a, I think there's like an endorphin rush when you go online and you make that purchase. And then you're looking out the door every, you know, three or four hours. Is the truck coming? Is he going to I open the door? Is the package there? I think there's something going on as to why people do that, as opposed to having to go to Kenwood Town Center or Target, which are very difficult places to shop anymore because a lot of these stores just don't have product. Yeah. Um, I, 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 but I think there's like a, there's a real rush that everybody gets from doing that. Well, and 40% of people have said, I will spend money on an impulse buy over necessities like paying bills. That's a really difficult stat to unpack, yeah. right, for people yeah. who are thinking that. And I think to your point, Ken, there are a lot of feelings wrapped up in this. I mean, coming out of the pandemic when many of us felt super disjointed and we couldn't travel and we couldn't do a lot of what's normal, what became normal for a lot of us was shopping online. At least you had that to look forward to. Right, right. And I think social media plays a, a big role in this for a lot of us. And I think it creeps in. So it might not be anything that you're really aware of, but it's on this like unconscious level of on your Facebook feed, right? You start to see that so-and-so has this car or you see someone's pictures of their kitchen from their kids' birthday parties and they have this ginormous TV in the background, whatever yeah. it is, yeah. you start to normalize, well, they have these things. so. I should have these things. And this research about impulse buys digs into social media. And it's it's amazing how huge of a factor that is, in a, I think, on a very subconscious level of justifying, do I need this right. or I want this? Right. People don't ask themselves these questions. And 
You're probably not on TikTok, are you? No, and I'm not on Facebook. I'm barely <laughs> on Twitter. I think well, these people are out to get me, so I stay away from them. Well, it's probably smart of you. You're probably no. not spending money that you don't need to because well, Twitter, I don't know that Twitter makes you do it the way Facebook does. But well, I can tell you, I have subconsciously thought, like, this is normal, and then I had to pull myself back because this is what he do and talk about every day, and I know better. No. But I also have three teenage girls in my home. You can pray for me for that one. <laughs> <laughs> but they watch oh TikTok. And, and, and I gotta tell you, Ken, it's crazy because we were in a bookstore the other day. One of them needed to, to grab a book for her economics class in high school. Great. Happy to do that. And she said, before we leave, this was in Barnes & Noble, I want to check out this table of books as seen on TikTok. <laughs> I mean, they're literally like an industry building yeah, yeah. up because our kids yeah. And, and, yeah. and everyone has to have yeah. the same shampoo and the same blah, blah, right. blah, because it's all on TikTok. Yeah. And, you know, I think our kids don't understand, hey, just because I see that other people have this online doesn't mean that. I. So it's like the next generation of keeping up with the Joneses. It's very much yeah. in their faces. Yeah. And I do kind of worry. And we have very intentional conversations in my house about, hey, just you. because TikTok says this Jeez. is fast or a need doesn't necessarily mean that it is. I, and I for parents out there that are feeling this pain, right, I, I get it. But you got to know what your kids are on and you got to yeah. be involved in these conversations yeah. because Gosh, we got to start them off on the right foot. Three you know? teenage girls. What the hell were you thinking? Uh, <sighs> I know. We're the Brady Bunch over here. But, you know, it, it's interesting in this sense, and I think we've had this discussion before, and it may not be a bad time to raise it again, when you, when you have teenagers and you're buying things either because they need them or everybody else has them and I want them, whatever the motivation is, and, and you're, that credit card, that MasterCard, that Visa, whatever, it's starting to add up, and you're paying that interest that's approaching, I don't even know what it is now, 18, 19 percent. 20 plus percent. 20 yeah. plus percent, okay. It might not be a bad time to find one of those 0% interest cards, dump as much as you can onto that, and then be disciplined to make that payment every month so that it's going to the principal and not the interest. I, I, I still think if you're in credit card debt, that's, that's not a bad way to get out of it. Well, I think the key is getting out of it. And if that's the way that works for you, understanding that you need to read the fine print right on those zero interest uh, cards, because if you do not pay off the balance in that amount of time, you're right. going to be paying 20 plus percent yet exactly. again. Yes. Um, but yeah, during the pandemic, what we saw is that Americans were paying off our credit card debt in record numbers. And as much as I wanted to say, oh, we've learned our lesson, right? Yeah. We're never going to do this again. What we have seen is we're creeping back up to once again, record levels of credit card debt and on a personal level when you think about the fact that okay your 401k balance is probably down right now you're paying about 10 percent more for everything because of hey inflation and then if you're carrying a balance on that credit card you're going to pay more and more and more to pay that off every time the fed increases rates it's something that you have to get into control and i think there are people who've kind of fallen into two big groups tell me if i'm wrong here mm -hmm. people who see money as a tool Right. And people who see money as um, it, it, it's in control. Right. I, mm -hmm. I can't pay off this credit card debt. I can't. You have to understand that you have to take control of your money and then it becomes a tool to get to the things that you want to do, be it yeah. travel, be it spend time with the grandkids, whatever that is. And I think for those who find themselves in credit card debt and feel like you can't get out, you can. It's a matter of 
the taking of the control and then promising yourself you're never going to go back there. Yeah. It is you taking control of the situation. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. One other thing I want to touch on, I get these gift cards. My dad used to give me gift cards. God bless him because ah, yeah. he didn't know what to buy me. But <laughs> the, for the longest time, he was giving me gift cards that expired. They had like expiration dates on them. Mm. And I'd put them in a bag or you know a tray or something. I'd forget about them and then they'd be gone. Now, I don't know if that's still what happens because I don't get a lot of gift cards anymore. But apparently there are a lot of unused gift cards out on the market right now, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're talking about inflation. Now, people don't have enough money to make ends meet right now. Do you have unused gift cards lying around? The average amount that we have, 175 bucks a person. Last year, it was 116 So way up from the year before. And here's the thing. Think about it. Just from the standpoint of inflation, Ken, 175 bucks would have bought you a lot more one year ago than it is now, which is yeah. one reason why you should use these gift cards immediately. And then you're right. Sometimes they expire. And, and that used to be far more common than it is now but you can lose them companies are these a lot of retailers struggling right now um you know you get a gift card and all of a sudden the company's out of business right yeah. my kids had i can't even remember how much in toys r us gift cards and then toys r us went under you know <laughs> uh so yeah. i think as soon as you get these keeping them top of mind especially right now if you know you are struggling to make ends meet use these gift cards again as a tool uh rather than throwing them into a tray or back pocket or just forgetting that they're there altogether. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm not trying to uh, get a head start here on what you're talking tonight, but you're on 55 KRC at uh, six, uh, 606. And who's that guy you're with now? The guy you drag every every night that you know yes. has a hard time keeping up with you. What's that guy's name? Steve Sprovac. He's Dad, the best. He's a yeah. lot of fun. So yeah, yeah join us tonight. No, you carry him. him. No, you carry him. <laughs> you do. It's like Amy makes a comment, drag Steve. Amy makes a comment, drag Steve. I really no, hope Steve, he's listening right now. I hope he is too. No, I'm only kidding. No, you guys are great together. It's good uh, talking to you. I don't know when we'll do it again, but we'll do it again. How about that? I'll look forward to that. Sounds there good. She, there she is, the queen of money and the star of Mo Eggers' podcast, Amy Wagner. 1054 Ken Brew for Scott Sloan, 700 WLW. When our town cries out for morning excitement, please, Mike McConnell, L. One man answers the call. Mike McConnell, sworn to use his powers to make your morning super. He deploys his circle of champions. Jennifer Ketchmark with weather. Chuck Ingram with traffic. And Seg Dennison with sports. Mike McConnell with superhero wit and wisdom. And a mighty morning voice. You know, it does seem kind of heroic, doesn't it? Tomorrow morning at 5 on 700 WLW. Keep listening for the next chance to win. Welcome back, 700 WLW. It's 1108 Ken Brew for Scott Sloan on this Tuesday. So glad, and I don't say this capriciously, so glad that you have joined us here as well. You know, I've said for a while, and there are people that agree with me and people that don't, but hey, that's what makes the world go round, that violence, particularly violence among young men. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No 
purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is uh, something that can be traced to a lot of different things. One of the things I think it might be traced to, and I say might because I am not a psychologist and I don't pretend to be one. One of the things it might be traced to are video games, particularly violent gun video games. Now, I know a lot of gamers are rolling their eyes when I say that, and that's fine. Maybe it's not a problem for you, but it only has to be a problem for a select few for there to be a problem for all of us. Violent video games, violent television shows and movies, for that matter, are becoming increasingly violent, but still teens and other young children are gravitating to them. Mix in isolation that has become a byproduct of COVID where a lot of, a lot of kids... Certainly young men have been separated from their friends. They only converse through electronic media. And although those are rules that have been relaxed now, you and I both know that there was a significant amount of time when schools were out of session and when we had to uh, basically just shut down our lives because of COVID, uh, that a lot of kids gravitated to that kind of entertainment. Well, now those kids are getting older. And again, this is anecdotal. It is not scientific. So don't, don't uh, conflate either one of those. But there is growing concern that maybe some of these games are having an adverse effect on people that would not be able to separate the reality of life from the fantasy they're seeing in these video games. And one of those people that share that opinion is Dr. Frida Birnbaum. She's a research psychologist, a psychoanalytic therapist, seasoned media commentator. She's all over the place. I've seen her on many, many shows. And she's also a mom. She's a mother of five. And she's granted us some time here on 700 WLW to talk about that. And Dr. Birnbaum, how are you on this glorious Tuesday? Thank you so much. I'm, I'm wonderful. Thank you. Uh, it is true that children will mimic other adults. I mean, if you've had a child or if you have a grandchild, you know that that's part of the behavioral cycle for a child and part of his or her growth. So we know this, and we know that if, if indeed the adult is behaving in, in a manner that's not appropriate, chances are you'll see that in a child. It's, it's not anything that's anecdotal. You've probably seen it in your research and in your practice. Absolutely. Uh, today, more than ever, there's violence in TV, movies, uh, gaming, you name it. You know, even family uh, activities have violence in it, so we can't seem to get away from it. But children are experiencing a lot of depression uh, because of this, especially preschoolers. Uh, they're becoming more aggressive, and they lose a sense of real-world uh, experiences around them. So it's more than just this uh, attitude of aggression, uh, it could be really dangerous. And that's really uh, where I want to start this, because if you look at some of the cartoon videos that have been out there, and you see that one character is beating up on another character, or hitting another character, or doing something of harm to another character, uh, the child begins, begins to think, well, wait a minute, is that the norm? Is that what I'm supposed to do? Hey, I like what, you know... The Roadrunner is doing the Wiley e. Coyote. That's pretty funny. Or, I don't know, I can't even keep current doctor with cartoons. I don't watch cartoons. But if they see that, they may think that's the norm. That's what you're supposed to do, correct? Well, it's the norm. And uh, the norm is something that, as teenagers, uh, becomes uh, a reality into adulthood. Uh, you know, the frontal cortex uh, 
is still developing. So we talk about anxiety and depression and isolation uh, becomes more mainstream. So we have to be very careful uh, how teenagers especially are developing and what the norm is. And, you know, we're talking about gaming. Uh, that's something that is extremely controversial and can be dangerous. Uh, they're going around uh, killing each other. Uh, there's no consequences for it. But then in real life, uh, they continue uh, doing things that are harmful uh, to one another without feeling there will be consequences, which there are. And it's more rampant now than ever with uh, school shootings for many reasons. Uh, teenagers have isolated themselves uh, in their rooms uh, and they are feeling lonely or bored. And then they play these games and then they work it out into reality. So we really have to find a way how we can sublimate this into other kind of activities uh, in their lives. And one thing we do need to do is have teachers, and it starts at home. We need to have parents um, really uh, show children, their children, how to not be bullied and how not to bully. So it really does uh, start at home. But there are other kinds of gaming and uh, activities that can really be very beneficial instead. Yeah, you know, Doctor, I don't play video games. Reality is, is much more interesting to me than, than fantasy. But I do know people that do, and I've seen people. And, and honestly, it's not just kids. It's, it's, it's moving up into whatever people 35 and 40 and 45 are. I don't, I don't know generationally how you define that group. But nevertheless, I, uh, I, I see it. And you're right. There is a disconnect between reality and what's transpiring on the video game. You, I, these shoot-em-up war games. Or uh, get the bad guy game, or the bad guy gets you game, and you're sh you're in essence becoming the guy that's shooting. And at the end of it, you know the game's over, and what do you know? It pops back up, and the guy that got shot or killed is alive. And you're right. There's there's no there's no reality to it. There's it's just you know conceptually, it's a very difficult thing. I think for some people to separate reality. From fantasy. Now, Doctor, I've suggested that on this show, and I've been laughed at. I've been hooted at. But not everybody has the ability to separate, hey, I'm playing a video game from, okay, I realize it's different once I walk out my front door. There are plenty of people that can't make that distinction, and a lot of them wind up shooting up people outside of their house. Uh, but, a lot, but people don't understand. But, but I get shouted down when I say things like that. Well, you know what? I support you so they can shout at me as well. Uh, and I'm the researcher here, so maybe I have some more clout here. Because, you know, research has shown uh, that this can cause the part of your brain responsible for suppressing aggression to actually become less active. And so this leads to even more aggressive behavior and less control. So, yes, you're making absolutely a lot of sense that, these shooters in school, and you know what's really scary is my son, I have two 15-year-old boys, came home and he said, you know, I like this new high school. And I said to him, why? And he said, because there are quarters that I can hide behind. I said, uh, what? What are you talking about? Uh, he said, you know, if shooters come. I said, are you kidding? So this is, we live in a generation now that going to school is more than just getting the grades. It's about safety and security and uh, this isolation and being alone in your room and playing these games that are aggressive that lead into uh, horrible, horrible events in our lives. 
really needs to be monitored. And one way to do that, actually, is that they do have certain types of equipment that you can block, that you can log into, where your teenagers just don't play those games. And if parents can do that, and there are sites that they can research for that, then eventually they'll have to think of other things to do, such as play basketball or mm. Uh, here's something else that's interesting, by the way. There, there is gaming that is good for you. And if you can do that, it's good for you to challenge each other. Competitive sports, you can do, as I said, basketball. You can do that when you're gaming. You can play tennis when you're gaming. You can even ski. You can even ski yeah. when you're gaming. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Why can't they do things like that instead of having these rifles and going around running and shooting? Because it really teaches you how to think quickly. Uh, it helps you to have uh, group connections with one another. So there's a lot of wonderful things this can do uh, instead of violence and really be creative and help your children even do better in school academically as well. Because, by the way, these aggressive acts uh, prevent kids from doing well academically. But, Doctor, as you know... Um all that sounds good in a vacuum, but if you're the parent or you're the kid that's not allowed to do that while the rest of the kids are doing it and they're talking about it and why can't you do it, you become the weird kid, right? You become the kid that can't fit in with the rest of society. Uh, you're kind of swimming upstream if you're the parent doing that in this day and age. I mean, I'm sure you get people inside of your practice that say, well, you know, I, I don't have time. I can't watch him or her 24 hours a day and what she's doing. And, and kids are kids. They're going to gravitate to whatever the pack is doing. So, I mean, how do you how do you get around that? Well, that's a very interesting question. And I, I just had somebody that's coming in after us, actually, uh, a teenager, whose parents uh, locked everything up. He can't do anything. The other extreme, he can't uh, play with his video games. He can't do gaming. He's very frustrated. And why is he coming to see me? Because he's acting out in the other direction, going out with his friends late at night, uh, taking a bottle of uh, alcohol with them. Uh, that could be uh, very dangerous as well. So we need to have this fine line with our children. And the most important thing is to make our children responsible for themselves because we can't continuously... Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Prevent them from doing what it is we want them not to do because they'll find ways on their own. So we need to be able to have opportunities for them to use that energy in healthy ways. Yeah. To be able to, my kids went bird biking yesterday. And by the way, I took this boy with us. So he could see that there are challenges in life that are healthy. You don't have to have challenges that are destructive. And so that's one thing parents can do. They can prevent a child from doing something that's harmful and helping him or her. Uh, I hate to say this more boys than girls doing this, this type of gaming, yep. but, but can help them to have an interest and have activities, after school activities that are even more challenging and they, they are peer related because you're right. It's a lot of peer pressure. If somebody's doing it, they want to be part of the group. 
the teenage years are difficult, very rough. Because as I said, the frontal cortex is developing and you're finding out who you are. But then again, it doesn't mean you have to be bored or you have to do something destructive. The middle ground is for parents to find activities that children enjoy. We're talking about enjoying your life. And you do get a high from these games. And that's why they want to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. But they can get a high out of playing the piano, out of taking voice lessons. There's so many wonderful things that aren't being tapped into that need to be initiated by the parents. So, yes, parents do need to be a part of this. But they really need to be more creative and inventive for their children. So instead of punishing them and blocking them, which will create even more pressure and the kids will feel more repressed, isn't something that even is even a better alternative. Yeah. And they, everyone will be happy as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that discipline, I think, should start, not discipline, but I mean, I think that that particular area of parenting needs to start younger than older. Um, Dr. Frida Birnbaum is our guest, research psychologist, author of the award-winning book, Life Begins at 60, A New View of Motherhood, Marriage, and Reinventing Ourselves. And it says here that you you are the oldest woman in America to give birth to twins. Is that right? I'm that crazy lady. What the hell were you thinking? Uh, how old were you when well, you gave birth to guess twins? Guess what, my dear? Well, here's the situation. Uh, my boys are 15, so I can't hide my age. Hopefully, I'm healthy and strong. Uh, yes, I live the life. I talk about it. You know, being older, it's not necessarily only about looking better. Uh, it's about feeling better, mm. and it's about being healthier and living your life healthier. And we're living younger, longer. And uh, my parents lived on into their 90s, and my boys are thriving. And guess what? It wasn't me that wanted these children. Everybody has interviewed me. Oprah Show called me. Um, Inside Edition, 2020, I was on. Yeah. Uh, not my husband, and he's the one that wanted it. <laughs> you know, no one talks to him. He's older than me. Nobody cares. And you want to hear something funny? You know, Rod Stewart was on a show with me. He had a child who was a couple years older than me. No one even cared. And I was supposed to be on the, you know, women's right has not arrived yet. <laughs> but, you know, I was on, uh, I was supposed to be on the Oprah show. And in May, her last one of her last shows, and Trump canceled. Well, he decided to go on, so I didn't go on because of it. Mm. And he had this little baby on his lap. He was my age, and that one word was said to him about his age. So I want equality. <laughs> we need to. We need to. Uh, re- I was in Newsweek saying, you know, ageism needs to be redefined, and I should have said for women, yeah, because uh, men for some reason. Uh, they, people think of them as barrel when they're older. See, you tapped into something here. But uh, women, you know, we're all we're, well, we're over the hill. We're, but I'm not over the hill, and no. I don't look at or feel it. And if anything, I feel that I'm a better mother now. But no, I'm not this crazy lady. My <laughs> husband said to me, "Don't tell anybody your age. Well, Just listen. tell them about what it's like." Yeah. Uh, Doctor, keep up the good fight on uh, on the violent shows and the gaming. I think we've got to get yeah. a handle on that. And I think, you know, it's I think horrible. we're going to find, I think, in, in due time that all of this has a cumulative effect and um, that it might be a compelling reason why uh, our younger uh, folks, the, the, the kids from ages 13 and 12, right through their adulthood, maybe have trouble uh, separating reality from 
from fantasy. Doctor, thank you so much. Dr. Frieda Birnbaum, where can, people, where can people find you? How do they find you? Uh, well, I'm, I'm uh, wherever. I'm on a website, uh, drfrieda.com, but uh, they can see me on all these shows. Okay. Um, and they can contact me on uh, Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R-F-R-I-E-D-A at gmail.com as well. Thank you so much. I'd like to do this place. again. I'd like to do this again. Thank you, doctor. My pleasure. Anytime I'm here. Good. Yes, we will. Absolutely. Again, I don't know if it's anecdotal. It's anecdotal for me. Seems to be more research-driven for her. And it's not for everybody that plays a, a shoot-em-up video game. Everybody is not affected that way. But there are people who are. And they have trouble separating fantasy from reality. The... the, the <laughs> The trick is obviously figuring out what to do with people who are that way. How do you find out? How do you then intervene in a legal way? It's never easy. It's never black and white. It's never a straight line. But it is there. It's 1125. Ken Brew for Scott Sloan, 700 WLW. Stop avoiding your erectile dysfunction issue. Peak Performance for Men is offering their best offer yet. Call today to book your free consultation and free blood flow evaluation. Peak Performance for Men helps over 80% of men who receive the treatment experience long-term improvement. All it takes is one phone call for a free consultation and free blood flow evaluation. Call 513-866-8181. That's 513-866-8181. Where can you turn? 1135 News Radio 700 WLW. Ken for Scott Sloan. Willie in at noon. All hell breaks loose then. Uh, are college degrees overrated? You know, um, you spend a lot of money to send your kid or maybe you send yourself to college. Unless, of course, the you know, Biden administration <laughs> forgives all student loans. Good luck lining up politically behind that one. But anyway, are college degrees overrated? You spend four years in a college, you get an undergraduate degree, and then when you're there, you find out, well, wait a minute now, to really do what I want, I need to get my master's. And then it's another couple of years. And then at that point, people are telling you, go get your doctorate. And all of a sudden, you've accumulated a lot of bills putting yourself through college for a job that may not pay you or cover that expense for decades. When the answer may be right in front of you. You know, we're, we're all gifted with certain skills in life. It doesn't matter whether you do what I do, do what you do. It doesn't matter. We all have certain gifts, and we all have certain things we can't do. And more and more, I think people are realizing that college isn't for everyone and that there is a lot of money to be made out in the real world with specific skills, whether it's in electricity or plumbing or car repair or anything that people need. These businesses tend to be recession-proof. Master technicians that are highly proficient can earn up to $90,000, $100,000 a year. And try to get an electrician to come to your house in a day or two. Try to get a plumber to come to your house in a day or two. Chances are they can't because there's so much in demand. So rather than spending four years in college and racking up a lot of debt, why not? Why not go where the money is and the jobs are? 
Standing by is somebody who knows. We've had David Cathy on the program before. He's a partner with Unity Search Group, one of the top recruiting co uh, companies in the country. And David, how are you on this glorious Tuesday? Ken, I am doing fantastic. Thank you much. Let's talk about these trade schools. How about it? I like it, and I'll tell you why. Um, I have a lot of friends that I consider good friends that are electricians and are plumbers, HVAC guys, and they're always working. They're never out of work. And I'm, I said to myself, you know, I like what I do. I went to school. It cost my, my parents and then ultimately me a lot of money. But I think if I could go back in time and I could, you know, there are a few things that I was pretty good at fixing and whatnot. If I could go back then and hone that skill, I would never have to worry about my next contract or whether or not there's some younger guy ready to take my, my, my job. It's good hard work, but it's good hard work that pays a lot of money. And I sense more people are getting attuned to that, correct? More people are getting attuned to that. A couple of quick notes on this. and Let's just take construction, okay? Enrollment in construction trade nationally is up 19.3%. Mm. It's huge. And in all of these trade crafts, whether you're talking about, like you said earlier, you know, it's it's auto or plumbing or HVAC, or then you go to a dental hygienist or x-ray technician. You know, they're up in all of these areas. And one of the unique reasons why they are up is because it really declined. People going to trade school really declined in the 80s and 90s. And I think in the 80s and 90s, there was this big push on, oh, you got to get a college degree. You got You had two paths. It was either a college degree or go to the military. Right. Yep. And people chose amongst those two paths. And so there became this huge gap in the 80s and 90s where people were not graduating from trade schools. And now we are at this point where all the baby boomers are retiring and it's leaving a huge gap that is mm -hmm. creating this soaring demand for people graduating from trade schools. And where you have demand, you have increase in prices. Yes. And therefore, salaries have skyrocketed over the last couple of years for people with these skill sets. And, and availability, too. I had the misfortune of having my air conditioning go out in the middle of June, which it was obviously around the country. The entire country was a furnace. And uh, I, I, had, I had bought one of those home warranty things. And the more and more I'm discovering they're really not worth the price. But I, I, I said, look, my AC's out. I need to... Can, uh, and they they were going to send somebody from Columbus all the way down to Cincinnati, and it was going to take five days. I said, in five days, I'll be like the Wicked Witch of the West. I'll melt. I'll, I, I would melt. Finally, I got a buddy of mine to come over. He did something or other who was an electrician, knew exactly what he was doing, and the problem was solved. And I, I said to him, I said, I really appreciate that. And he, he said, well, you should. He said... I said, I, I'm turning down business. I can't do everything that people want me to do. So there's not just money. There's availability and demand for it. It's really recession-proof. It is. You know, I, not to get into it, have a similar story about a plumber that I'm needing right now. And, uh, and, and it is. And what, what's happening here is, you know, when you think about the recession-proof, we think about, you know, this decline in the 80s and 90s, and we're seeing what happened over the past couple of years where people in corporate jobs were losing their jobs, and, and some are right now in some of these high-tech industries. You know, you see these layoffs happening, and parents are associating this with, you know what, maybe I don't need to push my kids to go get a four-year degree because is there really the value there? Are they really going to use the education that they went to? 
school for? Or are they going to get some education and some psychology job or whatever? And I'm not trying to pick on psychology. I'm using it as an example and end up doing something completely unrelated. So what was the value of that four-year education, particularly if they had to go through the last two, three, four years completely online, sitting on a campus that's empty? Yeah, this number may be outdated. I know it was current as of a year ago, but 40% of the people that go to law school and get a law degree, 40% actually wind up working in the law in, in the law profession. Well, what does that say for all of the time, money, and effort you put into getting that law degree? It says you probably ran up a lot of debt, and somebody, maybe you, is going to work a lot of hours to pay that debt off. That's what it says. Well, let's talk a little bit about that debt just to have a little perspective here. So, you know, I was looking the other day, the average debt, and of course, you're depending on the source, it varies, but let's just say the average debt of a four-year college degree is t- just under 30000 It's 28000 and some change. Mm-hmm. That is a 25% increase in the past 10 years. A trade school is significantly, it's usually going to be one to three years, and it's going to be more than 25% less than what you're paying for a four-year education. And while you're going through the trade school, you are actually doing the practice, right? right. And when I am going through the auto mechanic school, I am actually performing as an auto mechanic and getting paid in many scenarios while I'm going to a class early in the morning. And so you're graduating free of debt, and you're starting to get ahead very quickly. Now, I was just referring to a four-year education. You alluded to earlier, oh, if I really want to use this, I need to go get my master's. Or if I want to be a doctor or an attorney, I need to continue to go to school. And so that average debt climbs to hundreds of thousands of dollars for many people. Well, yes. And and uh, as I mentioned, it, you may not go to work in the chosen profession that you were convinced was perfect for you for all those years. I, I'm looking at, at some of these uh, highest paying jobs without a degree. Transportation storage and distribution managers. Um, now, I'm not sure what the actual definition of those jobs are, but but you could make up to ninety-five, ninety-six thousand dollars $96,000 a year doing that. Police and detective supervisors in some cities. Median income, $91,000. Commercial pilots, you have to go to flight school, but you don't necessarily have to go to the num- for the number of years you would for a college diploma or a grad school. I mean, uh, there, there, are, there are pilots because of the way the airline industry is so stretched right now that are making in excess of $300,000, $350,000 a year, sometimes even more than that with overtime. So, I mean, those are the things that are out there that we know we're always going to need. And I, I think we need stronger voices, David. I really do, out there in high schools that are becoming proponents of, of these kinds of trades as opposed to let me see what college I can get you in because that will make my high school look better. I think we need more and stronger voices, don't you? I think we need stronger voices, and I think those voices need to help push the stigma of college versus, well, college is going to be a prestigious versus Mm. the trade school. And I think that stigma is going to slightly go away, and we need to continue to push that stigma. And here's the other thing that you just mentioned. You mentioned these salaries. I was asked uh, just yesterday on a show I was talking about this very topic. 
And they were like, yeah, but your, your career is going to be limited and the, the salary that you are going to be able to earn is going to be capped. No, it's not going to be capped. No. Because the people who are ambitious and they want to break off and create their own little plumbing or HVAC company, and they create that, that plumbing and HVAC, and they have the master's designation. I'm a master plumber. That's really challenging. It's not like they give those away. I mean, you've got to take some very, very challenging courses. You start your own company with the demand that there is out there. Uh, currently, you are setting yourself to make up well more than $100,000. And that's something that you see historically in trade industries. They pass that down within a family. Yes, and you, you, as you said, you control your own destiny at that point. You, 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 you make your own hours up. You take that company wherever you want to go. You know, we're chatting with David Cathy, hiring expert with the Unity Search Group. And I know that you do a lot of recruiting and you look for people for positions. Is there someone like you, I don't know, maybe it's you, that actually does that for people that want to go into these trades, whether it is as I said, transportation storage or airline pilots or lighting or electrical or HVAC. Is there any, is there any company out there that does that? Yeah, Ken, there's a lot of them. You know, my firm, we specifically focus in accounting, finance, tax, and information technology. And you actually see a lot of people in information technology right now going to these little, we call them, uh, you know, dojos where they're learning to code in a weekend or a few weeks. And that's considered a trade school function. Um, so we do that, but they have a number of recruiting firms who are really focused specifically in these specific niches to employ people. And those firms are doing one heck of a job right now because there's such a demand for the automotive technician industry alone. Mm -hmm. There are over 200,000 job openings across America right now. Wow. waiting on these people yeah. that's the demand we're talking about sure and and it's it's so difficult to buy a new car uh it's so difficult to find a good quality used car people are holding on to these cars you know a lot longer than just the three or four years if you're somebody who can repair an automobile i think the world is at your feet because until and if we all go electric and we'll see how quickly that that happens but until and if uh, we're going old. I I have a I, I drive a car. It's 16 years old. I just keep it up from a from a maintenance standpoint, and it's fine. It's not because I'm cheap. Because I like the car, and I also know to replicate that car is going to be a hell of a lot more money than what it cost me to buy that car new. So, if you can repair a car right now, you have the ability really to take your life anywhere you want to go. And and here's something else that I I've heard just anecdotally. Maybe you know better than I do, David. Um, if you if you have an interest, if you're a kid, you got an interest in in a, in elect in being a, an electrician or a plumber or whatnot, and there is someone in your town that runs that kind of business, and you go to see him. Say, I have an interest in this. This is what I'd like to do. Chances are, although you certainly wouldn't be doing big jobs and heavy work, you might find yourself as a part-time employee helping that guy out or that woman out because they're so busy right now. It's a lot easier than sending a resume off to some big-time company and hoping that they'll take you on as an intern. I mean, the, the really, we're talking about a number of different avenues that spin out from all of these trades. I, I, I'm glad to hear that you're doing that because I, I just think, I really do think that this is a, uh, 
this is something that, that uh, parents and schools need to get really hip to quickly. We're going to run out of people to fix things. We really are. Well, Ken, I, I just want to I want to pause on one second here on something that you said, and we're going to look under the hood here, pun intended. Let's take your car, okay? The cars in the 80s and early 90s, I could pull them out in my driveway and work on them. Mm -hmm. This is all mechanical. Cars nowadays, yours are 16 years old, but it's still run off of a computer. Mm -hmm. And we're That's only right. hurtling through space faster and faster to where everything is run off of a computer. Okay, you've got tankless water heaters that are run based on switches that are put up there. Who is more prepared out of any generation to just acclimate to the computer as quick as I can snap my fingers? Yep. It's the younger generation who's going to be graduating from uh, these trade schools. They Absolutely. step right in without skipping a beat as opposed to someone who might be my age trying to teach me how to operate this computer that runs this component over here on a car, I may have a lot more difficulty acclimating towards that. But our younger generation, they step right in and they love it. So get them into positions that they're going to love because the way our society is headed technologically is the world is going to be at their feet, even for these trade schools. Yep, absolutely. David Cathy, uh, he is at unitysearch.com, unitysearch.com, one of the top recruiting companies in the country. David, great insight, good stuff. Stay well. We need to hear your voice. Thank you. Hey, I appreciate you, Ken, as always. Tell you what, if, um, if my, and I'm sure it's the same way with you, if, if the way things go for me when I need things repaired, just getting somebody to come out, more on your timetable than their timetable, very, very difficult thing to do. And why? It's not because a lot of things are going wrong or a lot of things are going bad. There's just fewer and fewer. And so the stigma of a trade school is, first of all, it's ridiculous. Second of all, it's not what it was back in the 60s and 70s. There, are, there, are, there is big dollar money to be made. It's 1152 News Radio 700 WLW. Hello, my friend. Bill Cunningham here with a question for you. What if Abraham Lincoln only read half of the Gettysburg Address? Or what if Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stopped his speech after saying, I have a dream? We'd be robbed of the great impact of these great Americans' thoughts. The same can happen when you miss part of the Bill Cunningham show. Luckily, you can hear every single word I utter. Here's how. If you miss any part of my show, catch the podcast of my show on the iHeartRadio app. And God bless America. Celebrate Labor Day weekend at Great American Ballpark and cheer on your red legs when they take on the Rockies. Friday, September 2nd, catch a post-game fireworks show presented by Staff Mark. And Saturday, September 3rd is Country Night, featuring a red straw trucker hat giveaway thanks to Montgomery Inn while supplies last. Plus, Saturday includes an Ohio Lottery post-game concert featuring Cole Swindell. For tickets, call 513-381-REDS or visit reds.com slash promo. Paid for by government.com. Have you heard? The United States Mint has issued the Morgan Silver Dollar for the first time in 100 years. Not only that. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.